The Viridian Nutrition range of 200 plus award-winning products includes vitamins, minerals, herbs, nutritional oils, specialty supplements, tinctures and balms. All formulated to be helpful, efficacious and pure. By choosing our Viridian Nutrition range, you are one step closer to your goal of 100% wellness. Ethical vitamins with an organic heart. Available at all Browns outlets. Browns and you. There are billions of women passing through similar experiences all around the world and for whatever reason, we often feel like we're alone. It's time to make a point of discussing these topics from a range of viewpoints. These conversations surpass age, race, location. They are relevant to women everywhere. Welcome to The She Word. Conversations that women rarely have, but really should. MAC Cosmetics supports diversity, inclusion, and conscious beauty for all ages, all races, all genders. MAC Cosmetics Malta is proud to support these important conversations. Visit us at Tinye Street, Slima, and let us help you express your true self. And today's conversation is unanimously the most requested topic of all time from all of you guys who are watching and listening to this show. Today, we're talking about women, relationships, and we'll be talking about sex as well. I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. Roberta Farija de Bono for the second time. You were with us on, again, one of the biggest shows of the first season, which is on Women in Mental, Mental Health. You've come back to talk about relationships and we're going to be talking a little bit about sex as well. I'm also excited to be joined by Anna Catania, who is a highly respected and recommended qualified counsellor specialised in the area of sex and relationships, offering counselling and psychotherapy to individuals and couples who are having difficulties, either with their relationships, intimacy or sex. Thank you so much for being here as well. And, of course, the amazing Clara Juice Ordway, who is one of Malta's most loved personalities and presenters. You're also a sportswoman. You're also a wife, a mother. And you're joining the show in the capacity of someone who has had her own successful, long-term relationship. And, of course, as a presenter, you've come across this topic many, many times. So before we go any further, I'm going to start, come to you, Claire, just for a brief introduction. I've introduced you, mm -hmm. but fill in the gaps for me. Like uh, I've been with my single relationships, you're saying. Whatever you want to. Any gaps? <laughs> it's a free-for-all today. First of all, I'm really excited and honored to, to be here. I follow your shows, of course, and I love them. Uh, relationships, I love the subject. Um... I say I'm not an expert just because I've been with my husband since 17 years old. So we met, I was just 17. <laughs> then <laughs> um, we had a relationship of seven years before we got married. One time I was 19 and I told him, listen, we're too young. I took a break for a month and then I went back to him and I said, <laughs> no. Um, it's quite, it was quite we, we talk about this a lot because I tell him in the beginning, I don't think I was in love with him before we got married. I don't think I really loved him so much when we got married, to be fair. Mm -hmm. I don't remember those butterflies and everything because I'm marrying my husband. Then we had our kids. 
when our kids were small, I I remember myself saying, no, I'm not staying with him because we used to fight a lot. And I put my kids first and that was a huge mistake. But I, I was lucky enough that we stay together. And now, thankfully, if I can say so, my kids have grown older and now I'm living my love story with him. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> that's, that's the show. We can all go home now. Yes, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> that's absolutely amazing. Because, because everyone, you know, pictures us because we've been together for long and say what a nice couple you are. But we've been through our rough patches a lot. Now, if I had to be honest, I'm always honest. Um, I'm going through lovely things because we're going abroad alone. We go out. And I made a huge mistake because when my kids were younger, I put them first and we never went out. We, ne- I just went to him abroad after our honeymoon just a few months ago, after 21 years of marriage. So We have a lot of content suddenly <laughs> yes. unpacked from that very first introduction. You want me to tell you about sex? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Anna, fill in the gaps from you because you are a therapist and a counsellor. So just share us a little bit of a, an extended introduction to yourself. So actually, my interest in sex therapy and sexual medicine started when I uh, started working in 2007 at the breast clinic with breast cancer patients. Um, And I realized that um, when we diagnose a woman with breast cancer, we have a brilliant medical team. We remove the tumor. We have excellent medical care, excellent oncological care. But rarely we talk uh, to the woman and, and her partner about what a huge change to the sexual self um, and to the sexual relationship breast cancer uh, poses. So <laughs> my interest in, 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 in sex therapy and sexology and sexual medicine started from a place where I felt uh, that we need to talk about sexual rehabilitation for cancer patients. And, uh, and at that point in time, I was... Uh, I just had my first degree in nursing and then I did a master's in counseling and specialized in sexual medicine and, and sex therapy. So so my my interest in sexology was from, from the start because uh, I felt that we were doing a huge injustice to women uh, by uh, sending them home cured most of the time or, or, or in remission but not talking about what a huge change to their body image. Uh, you see another <laughs> massive show there. I mean, we, we're going to have a trouble trying to keep this show limited to an hour, yes. but but you came very, very highly recommended. Lots Thank of you. people said <laughs> you need to speak to Anna Catania. So I'm really glad that you're here. Roberta, like I said, you've been on the show before yes. and I spoke to you because you also work in this area of relationships and healthy relationships and, and family life. So yes. just a little brief introduction to yourself. So I'm also I'm a psychologist and a family therapist. So in my work, I work with couples. Um, I think that over time, I learned how to work with couples because I am also in a good relationship. So I think um, in the first years of my practice, I mostly worked with individuals because I was not in a good relationship. And I think that also impacted a bit my work and my understanding of relationships. And then eventually I got into this relationship that I've been in for 10 years. And, you know, learning to live in a good relationship supported me to think about what good relationships are all about. And that actually supported me to then venture into 
working with couples. And lately I've been, my practice is mainly with couples and families. So yes, I've learned a lot about that also through my own relationship. Well, you know, what occurred to me is we've got some really happy stories around the table, but we've also got some background and yes. we've also got some areas you've, you've all said that there are, there are things to be tackled. So as I mentioned, as we started the show, this has been the most frequently requested topic. Yes. Everybody wants women to speak openly about relationships and sex and how it affects them because, and it occurred to me when we sat down to, to, to talk about this, just the same as menopause and for a large portion of women, parenting, these are topics that affect every single one of us. Yes. But we don't come into this with a guidebook. I know there are guidebooks and we'll come to that in a minute, <laughs> but bearing in mind that this has been happening for millennia, people have been having relationships and sex since the time began. Mm -hmm. We don't have open conversations about it, and that's what we're doing today. So I want to run a couple of statistics past you, and then we're going to talk about some topics and, and delve into it. But first of all, what kind of relationships are we having in 2023? This apparently is an era of slow love, of marrying later and taking time to find a stability before settling down. Claire, that's an interesting story that you have, and we'll come to that in a minute. We're 95% of those surveyed believing that a relationship is as much about personal growth and supporting their partner. Since 1964, the marriage rate in the EU has declined from 8% per, uh, percent per uh, 1,000 people uh, in 1964, and now is 4.3% in 2019. At the same time, the divorce rate has more than doubled, increasing from 0.8% to in 1964 to 1.8% in 2019. When asked how important sex is to relationships, the certified sex therapist Laurie Mintz says, what we seem to know is that basically when sex is going well, which means you're having it consistently and not having any major problems, then it accounts for only 15 to 20% of the relationship satisfaction, which to me is quite eye-opening. So I kind of want to start off by looking at what are common relationship trends in 2023, because when I was growing up and the area that I was growing up in, it was the trend to meet your partner when you're between 18 and 20, you would date for exactly two years, you would get married after one year of engagement. This is what was acceptable. And so I got engaged at 20. I was late to get married. I got married at 24. I was divorced by 28. I was far ahead of everybody else in that. But I'm seeing that this is not the trend for this time. Anna, what is the trend at the moment? We talked about this slow love. Is that what this is all about? Um, first of all, there has been a huge change in the scene of dating. So we used to date in person, uh, meet in person at, at a bar, uh, at school, at, at groups. Uh, dating is now primarily online. So you meet on uh, Tinder, you meet on Grindr, you, if, you're, if you're gay. Uh, and usually that's how. So that, there, there is a huge change around how we date. Um, I teach uh, psychology of sexuality at university and when I ask, when I, we do uh, the lecture on dating and I ask 19 to 22 year olds that are in front of me, uh, most of the, them have met their partner on a dating app. Yes. Uh, both for short 
term relationships, for one-time dates, and for long-term relationships. So, so there's a, been a huge change in the, in the way we date, um, which obviously then uh, translates into how how we uh, how we courtship, how we uh, go around. There is now we, we talk in the area of sex, sexology around relationship diversity, not just gender and sexual diversity. We talk about open relationships. We talk about polyamory. We talk about um, friends with benefits, and these are very very uh, were very strange topics when we were growing up. Because mm-hmm. I'm I'm. 50 plus now. So. Well, I'm guessing we're all kind of around the same age. So, so it's the dating scene has changed totally. Comp- totally. And then it obviously translates into relationship changes and in the way we relate and the way we view commitment. There's a huge challenge to commitment in relationships. And the problem is that we we read too much about failed relationships. We don't read too much about lovely relationships yes. last time i was watching the series of um megan markle and and i was okay it's that's another subject but i was really <laughs> but i i really loved watching the relationship i don't know if it's made up or anything but the fact that they're really in love and he was protecting her all the way and i was saying to myself we should see more of these things because we're always always listening to people fighting divorcing we don't ask what the other partner is doing we're always siding with our friends and making things worse you know we're inundated with bad stories but isn't that algorithms whether it's in Mm -hmm. real life or whether it's online the algorithm of our existence is dictated by those stories that create a reaction but it's up to you i've learned lately that it's up to us to decide what to watch what to delete and block you can you know um, a few a few months ago, I, I read this thing. We wake up in the morning, we open our mobile, and we start watching notifications. And we think they don't affect us, but they do. Of course. And it's like you open your eyes in the morning and open the door to all your village to come in. That's how it's it's yes. working on our psyche, you know. And it's a, it's on everything about relationships, about sex. We do all the time listening, reading to bad comments, it's up to us. I really believe that you make life, things happen in your life, but you can shape it, you can find, you can be happy through little things. And I think that is is what has changed really. Relationships have become much more complicated because of the society we live in. You know, um, uh, before it used to be you get married, the, the path was very clear. You know, nowadays it's much more complicated. Even the fact that people are more inclined to think of themselves more and to go for personal growth, yes, that's fine. But if the couple then does not grow together, you know, then the couple will not um, stay together most often. Mm -hmm. So I think we are bombarded with uh, um, ideas that, yes, are important, but at the same time, yes, we need to filter because these ideas are challenging our relationships, are challenging our view of relationships, what to expect from relationships, you know, um, and also what to do when problems happen, for example. So even our resilience in relationship. You know, I mean, what about, we talk about individual relationship, but what about 
couple resilience mm-hmm. and working through problems and finding the way to work through problems, you know, and this is what you learn in your own family. So if you've seen your parents kind of sometimes argue about them making up, then you have a model of how to do it. But sometimes either the parents never show their children how they fight or whether they're fighting. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, a big, huge fight, but an argument, you know, all couples argue. You know, sometimes you find young people telling you, but my parents never argued in their life. Yeah, probably they did, but they never showed them. So how can they learn how to manage an argument if you've never seen your parents argue? Or on the other hand, then they would learn that arguments mean that the relationship is over. You know, so they don't, they wouldn't have this kind of template of how to manage a relationship and the difficulties that you face. If I can ask, um, I always read, you know, we're always empowering our kids, our daughters, our sons, be yourself, don't change for anyone. Marriage is not being 50-50. Marriage, you're sometimes losing 80-20 for a whole year, for example. And that is what not, we're not, and that is the thing, we're not understanding, you know that you have to give a lot more and it's okay. It's not, it's lovely loving someone and giving him and seeing, for example, my happiness is watching my kids and my husband being happy. <laughs> my, my daughter tells me, mama, what a sad life you have. <laughs> 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 she can't understand it, but that's my happiness. But today we want to be happy, believe in yourself, empower, don't change for anyone. And that's another wrong message we're giving, I think. My humble opinion. It's very true. Can I? (laughs) Because in actual fact, in relationship, you need to change. So one of the questions I ask the couples who come to therapy would be, um, uh, how has being in this relationship changed you? You know, because couples, when they start off, they start off at opposite ends, you know, of a spectrum. Usually I am an introvert. I kind of fall in love with an extrovert. So we're, we're kind of the opposites. And then slowly, slowly, unless that kind of influence happens, there's a very good word in Maltese, which I like to use. I'm going to say it and then I'll translate it, even though there isn't a real good translation for it. Mm-hmm. So the dakar is when the, 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 the bee pollinates flowers. So if they don't manage to kind of pollinate each other, for want of a better word. Yes, that was a come, whole different conversation there. <laughs> <laughs> and come together as a couple, then problems happen. So if you're an extrovert, I'm going to start hating you for being an extrovert because I haven't developed it in myself, you know? So if I don't allow you to influence me and you don't allow me to influence you, it won't work, you know? So again, these are the messages. You see the counter messages, being an individual, being in a couple. Sometimes the messages don't um, align, mm-hmm. you know? But you brought that back right to the very beginning of a relationship. And I'm going to ask you, Anna, we, we, and my mind is exploding because so much has already been said in the first 10 <laughs> minutes. And we're going to come to the question of what makes a magic relationship work in a second. And I'm going to ask that to both of, of you ladies. But Anna, before we even get to the magic of that relationship, what should someone who's going out to find someone be looking for, because surely that defines how successful your relationship is going to be. And I think that is where fundamentally a lot of us go wrong. I know that I went wrong in that regard for 45 years before I fixed what I was was not working in myself. So before you even start a relationship, what, what, how do you define what you're looking actually, for? Actually, it's, it's, it's very biological in the first couple of months. In fact, couples... Uh, when I have couples with sexual problems at, at, at my clinic, 
tell me about sex was so good in the in the first <laughs> six months to a year. What happened? Um, actually, the biological processes and the physiological processes that are happening inside of us, the the sexual hormones, the androgens, the oxytocin, actually draw us to to uh, others, as Roberta well said, who are very different from us, um, and um, they we are also drawn to what feels like home. And this, this is this uh, maybe Roberta can can maybe open up, up on this a bit. Um, we are drawn to what feels like home, so we are drawn to what felt uh, feels like what uh, we had in our home growing up. And home may all, nev- not always be safe, but we are drawn to what feels like home. So if we are, if we come from secure, happy homes. We are drawn to people who are usually secure and 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 uh, happy. But if we are, uh, if home was conflict-ridden, if home was um, abusive, we are sometimes drawn to. We're drawn that to what's familiar because that is what is familiar. And and when the initial chemical physiological processes start wearing off, then the fireworks start and the conflict, the very high conflict starts because then obviously we start feeling the the, the the difficulties that we felt growing up. So that's exactly why I'm asking because again for me you've defined exactly my process and it wasn't until I was at the age of 45 that I realized I needed to look beyond what was familiar and what and look for what was right and what was good yes. and what felt good in my gut but for a lot of people and if I may say uh, something to 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 interject there. Um, women, as women, we are socialized not to trust our gut. And Ooh. when I work with women, I tell them, look inside yourself. You know deep down that this is not good for you. But we are we are socialized to not to trust um, ourselves. And evolutionarily, we have been built with an inside. Um, mechanism that that protects us, but sometimes we ignore it and say, "Oh no, I'm sure he will be better or she will be better because of relationships." But if you've had to learn at a young age to override that gut feeling, yes, you have no benchmark. You have nothing to guide yes. you into the right place to go. As I said, yeah, I relate yes, very yes, well yes. to that experience. Well, all of us, I all do. Us. I relate to that as well. <laughs> well well, then let me come to you, Roberta, because we're talking about what is the magic, what's the magic formula, what what makes a relationship a good relationship. You said yourself right at the very beginning that you didn't get into relationship counselling until you yourself were in the right relationship. So what led you to the right relationship? Because I have a feeling that Claire's story, whilst mm-hmm. she's worked very hard, is not necessarily the norm and probably our story is more normal for most. I think the experience of learning to believe in myself has led me to leave a a difficult relationship and move into a good relationship. So this bit of trusting your gut is actually links to my understanding, but I loved it. Mm -hmm. It's a really good thing I'm going to use myself Um, because I think it is a bit about uh, um, your self-esteem and believing more in yourself and knowing what you deserve. So I think all of us had that gut feeling, this is not going to work. But we thought, yeah, that things will change. 
you know, and also being in my profession sometimes, unfortunately, you know, you get to be very empathic as well, which doesn't help. Um, uh, but I think this is it. I think it's about learning to um, believe in yourself and to develop a good sense of who you are, what you'll accept and what you don't accept. You know, that is what will lead you then to be in a good relationship. I have so many people telling me oh, in, in therapy, how can I know when it's the right time to be in a relationship or who would be a good person for me? And most often it's about doing this work. You know, it's about going back and understanding the messages that people have had about themselves, you know, what they accept and they don't accept, and then overriding protective systems that have developed earlier on to actually be able to say, no, this is not good for me. I will not accept that behavior or, you mm -hmm. know, I want something different. And I think this is what happened to me. And I think this is what could happen to a mm -hmm. lot of us. So coming to you, Claire, because you, you must obviously know <laughs> part of this formula of what works and, and on the back of what, what Roberta was saying. I, I can't say I have a formula which works because sometimes I think to myself that I was lucky as well. Sometimes uh, now, now I say, because now we're, we're really good friends and partners. We love the same things. But I remember there was a time I was telling you, not that I wasn't in love, but I, if I had to look back on the day we got married, you know, I was, wasn't head over heels. It was just a system I was brought up in. The next in. step to do, like. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I didn't really appreciate mm -hmm. him. And what I, But I remember I went through sometimes when I was watching all my friends going out, having fun, and I was saying, oh my God, <laughs> will I stay with him forever? Like, because I, I miss so much. You know, there is two sides of the coin. A, a few months ago, I had this with my son, with this conversation with my son and his girlfriend. Because my son is going through the same story. They started really at a young age. And in the beginning, I remember I told him, it's too early. And he told me, I'm doing just what you did, yeah. ma. But now, after all the relationships I'm going through, through with my friends and all the stories, I don't think it's really that bad starting at a young age because everyone thinks it's really bad. Because growing up together, it you grow together. Like I, I, I said something to him, you evolve according to each other. As I told you in the beginning, we fought. I used to fight a lot with my husband. There were times even our sex life when we're, when our children were really young, you know, it suffered a lot because I gave priority to my kids. And then we grew together. Things changed. We grew to like each. For example, we give each other space. That's something we learned through years. I, I give him his privacy. We trust each other, of course. My mobile is always going around. and I'm an open book with him. But these things we learned growing together. There were a lot of hard moments. Everything suffered. There were times I, I can I really can remember instances when I said I'm, I don't think I can take it anymore I remember these things a lot of people go through these things but um learning to grow up and starting from a young age isn't that much of a bad thing nowadays you know a lot of people tell you no no go abroad first and mm -hmm. and enough work, study, you can do it, that with your partner. That's my message to young kids today. But Anna, this is, Claire's is a success story. And if Claire can do it, why can't everybody do it? Because they don't. 
I think there is something else which is a problem. Um, we don't know how to communicate. Okay. I, I follow um, uh, Julia and John Gottman, who are, who are huge in family therapy, and um, I, I was listening to a podcast uh, le- recently uh, that they, were, they had, and they said, w- if we teach our uh, high school and secondary school kids how to communicate, we can, we can uh, change the, the, the face of relationships. Because we, we, in the way we, we are, we communicate usually coming um, while, while we're growing up, is very defensive. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a blamed game that we play then in, in our adult relationships. There, there, uh, uh, we, we don't own our feelings. We, when I have couples, again, with sexual problems, and they start, because you... I, I, I feel rejected all the time because you always say no to, to sex. I, I, uh, I, I tell them, please slow down. And uh, how does that make you feel when you are rejected? How, how does it make you feel? So, so owning the, the feeling and saying, I feel rejected when you say no to me every night when I ask for sex. Um, is, is not putting the other person in defense. Because if I tell you, you reject me all the time. You you don't like me anymore. I I. What is the natural human thing to do? Pull up a wall and say, "Oh no, I don't. I was tired. You didn't help me with the plates. I was, uh, you know." And, and, and you defend yourself. Try in the yourself. morning. Into your reserve, <laughs> you know. So try in the morning or midday. <laughs> so communication, even communication about this, is really important. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Why does it have to be at night? <laughs> no, I think that must be a woman thing. We're all, we're all morning women, you know? <laughs> so communication is really important. Uh-huh. And, and I think that's the difference between successful relationships and Definitely. non-successful ones. And also, you didn't give up. So when there were difficult moments, yes. you didn't give up. And it might be good to understand what stories do you have about not giving up yes. in relationships because unfortunately sometimes what you find on the media you know i m- me and my husband fought and we have this issue leave him leave him leave him, leave him. Bella, this is the first and that's time. so worrying you know at the you know immediately people go red flag leave him red f- run that's the the, the key word nowadays run you know but what about working on a relationship if there is commitment and the will from both sides, not from just one person. Because it's not about the woman trying to make it work always. The, the, no. It needs to be. Uh-huh. But, but if there's a commitment from both to make it work, then it can work. If there's good communication, if they're supported perhaps to learn how to communicate well, and this is where therapy comes in, you know, then yes, you know, it can, rather than run, fixed, try to fix at least in the first instance. But I would, I would suggest... And I think you've just answered it, but I'm going to pick it apart a little bit further. That there are ch- times when it's right to run. And yes, there are times when it's right to Definitely. Stay. Yes. So how do you know? Is it Does it come down to your gut instinct? But how do you know when it's right to run and it's right to stay? stay? I, think, I think it's when there is abuse. So when the relationship is abusive, when you feel that you know, whatever you say, you're in the wrong, that um, uh, it, things get very difficult and it's a never an easy relationship, you know, for you try to make it work, but it's always very hard work. Relationships should not be hard work. And that's something I've learned in my relationship. 
you know, my relationship is easy. I mean, it, it's still not easy because we had a lot of challenges, but it feels easy, you know. And really, and so when people are in relationships that are extremely hard work, but not hard work as in because it's not a cliche that you have to work hard at your relationships, but there is a, it's hard work and it's hard work. And people who are in relationships that are hard work know what I'm talking about. So the, the hard, hard work. It's like, it's like uphill all the time. Uh, it's exactly. like a struggle, constant I think struggle. you know, I think, you know, I always think that when, when I go at home, and close the door behind me. Do I feel safe, even yeah. if we're fighting and we have a really bad fight? But am I afraid and petrified to go at home? No, I'd be annoyed, I'd be angry, but I wouldn't be afraid. I think going in your house, um, closing the door behind you and being afraid, that's a good sign that you're not in the right relationship. Mm-hmm. Claire said something else that's really interesting. Um, uh, you said there is a healthy balance between separate and together. Mm-hmm. And that is another good, excellent point of excellent, of good relationships. The balance between having, being an individual and doing your own stuff and being together. Mm-hmm. Um, because some couples become either very enmeshed, meaning having uh, 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 the same Facebook profile, uh, doing uh, everything yeah, together, everything yes, together yes, everything. from morning till <laughs> evening, um, or else they grow apart and live parallel lives. They function well uh, to take care of the kids, to get finances at home, but otherwise there is no complicity, there is no togetherness. Yes, and that is a brilliant balance, you know. You said that beautiful thing about now. I mean, I'm I'm absolutely flabbergasted because you said that when you got married, you're not entirely sure that you were in love with your husband, which suggests that now you know yes. what that feels like. But because you found time to honeymoon together, to do things together. Now what? Yes. <laughs> After all, the, that's why I I've, sometimes I say, is it that I made it work or I'm lucky as well? Because... For example, if I had to give an example of one thing I'm really grateful for, for my husband, he deserves this, is I come up with lots of ideas to do. And he never, never said, what are you going to come up with again? He always told me, yes, go for it. That is something which I really treasure. We both have really bad things about, but this that is something I treasure. And I suggest to others to let the other partner be and fulfill it. Once you're happy and doing your purpose, you know, you, you can give a lot more to your partner. And I do the same for him. I support him in his swimming and whatever. Again, I, I don't picture everything as being perfect, far from it. But thinking about it now, this is something I'm really grateful for. And I would suggest to my, to my kids, let the other partner be. Mm-hmm. and be free and do it and then he'll come back automatically you know we when something happens to me which I'm very proud of the first person I go to is him and tell him listen Rob look what I managed look this message you know that is something amidst a lot of things which we fight about we quarrel about and challenges we have of course with our kids when our teenagers, so okay. that's another so that's, phase. Uh-huh. And, you know, um, I think you, you've mentioned also the fact that when you had kids, it got tough. And oh. that's research. Everybody knows that marital satisfaction 
always goes down when there are kids. And then it has another dip when they are adolescents. Research that has been done in Malta, a very huge research project, like with 1,000 something people. I think it was 2,000 actually. Um, on happiness found that um, uh, the least happy people um, in, in this research were parents of teenage boys. <laughs> so uh, it's, it was that specific, you know. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! I have two boys and a girl. <laughs> and the most happy ones were those over sixty-five. So we still got time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it only gets better. It only gets better. I'm hearing that song in my head. <laughs> but um, I think making the couple a priority is very, very important. Yes. Um, I, I sometimes use your example. Because yes. <laughs> uh, doesn't know, I think. I have triplets. Yes. <laughs> I have four girls, 21-year-old and triplet 19-year-olds. Yes. Oh, so, my word. And to survive this, for my marriage to survive uh, a two-year-old and three babies, we used to have a date night every single week. After the first month. You know, and I always use it in my lectures. I didn't do that. And exactly. That is a mistake. That I is did. what kept us afloat. I used to be really anxious when I left my mom was brilliant um she used to come she, she was a widow she's not with us anymore um, but she used to really support me come and I, we had a lot of friends coming to support us and and that was what the only I think one of the very few things that saved us as a couple because because we we used to tell each other okay we'll talk about the kids for the first half hour and then no more. <laughs> this comes right back to what you said about yes. prioritizing your husband over your children. You said right from the start, and you've said it three times, I was counting, that you prioritized your children before yes. your husband, and that was a mistake. It was a mistake because I remember he used to tell me, let's go and have dinner, for example. And I would say, no, I won't leave them behind me because they were good kids. So we never really felt the need to leave them behind. And at that time, unfortunately, yes, we grew apart and it was mostly my fault, I think, because I was always about my kids. <laughs> I always wanted to be around them. And he, as a man, I don't think, I don't know how they think, but he wanted to be alone with me. I didn't because mm. I had two young kids together. So that is what I say in my program, the Cleot, about parenting. <laughs> and I say, no, go, go with your husband because it's really, okay. really important. And now that we're doing it, I can I can say I know how my relationship would have been much better at that time if I went. And what I tell students, if they managed with, <laughs> with four kids <laughs> under the age of two, anyone can do it. Exactly. <laughs> I, I would say absolutely. Now, we're going to move on to a little bit that we've all sort of danced kind around. Of, yes. Because <laughs> we talked about no. this 15 to 20% uh, priority for, uh, for having a good sexual relationship as well. Now, we've all just mentioned this. And it's something that really isn't very often spoken openly about without there being a bit of a snigger or a bit of embarrassment. But in a show that I did very recently in season one, the last show with the women of the future, these young ladies were talking about the fact that they were absolutely not prepared for relationships and for sex. They have had no guidance of how to have a good sexual relationship. Now, even if in the context of a healthy relationship, sex is only 15 to 20% of a priority, it's still a fifth of the relationship. And if these young women 
mm-hmm. are ill-prepared and they have no idea. Can we compare percentages? Because it really is only men. Men think yeah. totally different. Yes. Oh, this was just for women. This was for women. This exactly. was for women. There is a, a huge study uh, around the orgasm gap between um, males and females. I'll, I'll, I'll explain the, the percentages. But before that, this is about um, female sexual pleasure, which has always throughout history been given so little importance. When <laughs> I feel like that needs to change. <laughs> Thank you. Because even research, I mean, when when we had men had problems with erectile dysfunction, we have if you go on the uh, database, the university database, and research male sexual dysfunction, you get over. A million, million a million research studies. If you go on the same database and research female sexual dysfunction or female desire, the research investment is so much less. I mean, the, the Viagra and um, the, 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 the PDE5 inhibitors, so I will not mention any, any, any um, for erectile dysfunction, um, are hugely available. You can buy them over the counter now. The female... Uh, pill, pink pill, um, as opposed to the blue pill, research has recently restarted on it because it was um, paused uh, through the FDA uh, after years of clinical trials, very uh, available in few areas in the States, and and uh, it uh, it wasn't successful at all. So so it starts from female sexual pleasure and and the lack of importance we give to female sexual pleasure. Um, for example, um, when we talk about the orgasm gap, this huge research that was done indicated that 95% of heterosexual men have orgasm every time they have sex. 88% of gay men uh, have orgasm. 86% of lesbian women and only 65% of oh. heterosexual women have have orgasm every time they have sex. Because, why? Because most of us don't know how female orgasm works. We don't know that clitoral stimulation is much the, more important the, the, the way route through. <laughs> to female orgasm. When we have been socialized and sexual education is all about penetrative sex and intercourse. So so it's it really starts from the roots around sex, sex education, around how how we teach sex education in schools. We f- just focus on STIs, on... Uh, the fact, negative aspects. On, on them not getting pregnant. And exactly. we do not talk about female sexual pleasure. Um, so, so it this starts... This is exactly what these young ladies were yes. saying. Yes. And, and even Mariah was saying the first time that she came across, across a condom. No idea. Mm-hmm. No idea. I mean, these are fundamental... Yes messages that we should be sharing because as grown women i'm fairly sure that each one of us around the table have had our own adventures whether you've been married or whether you've been in and out of relationships or whatever or even if you've had four kids <laughs> you have your own journeys and of course post-pregnancy post course having Bed. babies yes. it all cha- i'm quickly discovering from friends that all changes as well so why are we not talking about it? this? And how do we... There's a lot of shame around and yes. taboo around female orgasm and yes. female and, and female sexual, sexuality. Yes. Especially in our culture because of the religious aspect as yes. well. 
So I think that is it. And people and couples don't talk about sex. Like very few couples actually talk to each other about what they like during sex. For example, you know, the the woman would tell her husband or her partner, um, I need this to orgasm. Possibly they wouldn't even masturbate. So they wouldn't even know how to orgasm. That's the first thing that you should learn. You know, how you orgasm, what, what turns you on. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, then you could you could tell your partner, listen, this is what I need for for a good sexual encounter. But there's there's so much inhibition, you know. But the irony is you talk about the shame and the not wanting to talk about it, but surely if you look on social media, everything is hyper-sexualized. Everything gives the impression that everybody's having great sex or <laughs> I'm somebody who could have great sex. Mm-hmm. We've got a massive gap here. Um, I, I would I, I would see it more of women being objectified rather than highly sex, mm-hmm. sexualized. So I... I um, but is it, it up to us to talk about it if we're not happy about it? Yes, like, that's very, very true. Um, but the, the conversation is not... Do you know not, how to talk about it? That's the question. The conversation would, would people does not know happen? how to talk about it? Is it allowed in the relationship to talk about it? You know, would the man... Some, some women might feel that if they're going to be telling their man, listen, I prefer um, to be stimulated literally rather than having penetrative sex, then he's not doing it in the right way. And it would affect the male thinking that he's not giving her enough pleasure or whatever. And it, he'll become defensive and it becomes an argument. And therefore the wife or the the, par- the female partner would not talk about it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's so it's, it's so complex. To, and it's all up to us, I think, to, to ask and to turn shift. And how, it's in all aspects of life. If I'm not happy about something, I have to do act about it. I remember when, when I was getting married, I was just 24. And, you know, they tell you, so now once you get married, you'll get big, you'll cut your hair, your sex life will go. If if you're with a partner... But I just got married. <laughs> <laughs> I got this to look forward to. I'm not cutting my people, hair. Some people picture things, even if we're, you're a partner for a, for long years, you know, your sex life will be but because boring. it becomes a tick box. It's not. It become if 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 I am doing something which is not which is not pleasurable to me, um, and worse because I get this all the time in my clinic. It's painful. Mm-hmm. I grit mm-hmm. my teeth through sex because it's painful, and this is very common. Um, why do I want to, to, to have it? How, how common, Anna? Which Quite common. Vaginismus and, and dyspareunia, which are painful sex, and now it, they've been put under one umbrella term. But basically, it's painful sex and not being able to have sex or having resistance to penetrative sex is pretty common. Um, I, so don't, I don't who, have the, the numbers. Because no, no, but, but the reason being, I mean, we've all been through, certainly in my case, various relationship situations, and I think it's important to normalize, not to open that conversation, because yes. that's, I think, that's where the shame is. Yeah. If you can't perform, or if you feel like you are inadequate. That is the problem. We see it as not performing, mm. because the, the importance in a sexual encounter is the sexual performance. No, the importance in a sexual encounter is the sexual pleasure, and the connection, and the intimacy. Even if it's meeting someone for the first time, it's not the performance. It's not. It's not. It's it's the pleasure you give to each other. That this is what sex is all about. But many many times it's talked as if it's something just to do. 
because it's it's becomes boring it's a chore it's It's something to do because now i haven't had sex for the past month with my partner so i i owe it to them but i i can i can relate to that when my kids were young again and a lot of parents through my program say it's the same because I didn't put it as a priority my kids were a priority so sex was a chore I remember and at that you, time you, let's, let's and I'd it. be tired you're tired I you're was, fatigued it, you're exhausted and it makes sense I remember, context, I remember thinking if I had half an hour I'd better sleep <laughs> it does make sense you know uh, but then then we had I remember we had some problems about these things as all couples do and I remember um, him saying that he's always being rejected. Then things changed eventually when they grew older, you know. I think it's it's part of the journey of being... We, we just have to not give up. I think some a lot of people give up with the very first hurdle. That is the problem today. You think you have a, a vast choice of people coming after you when in reality you have to work on your relationship. If you feel there is something worth fighting for, I would like to ask you a question, in fact. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the interviewer being interviewed. No, no, just one question. When you were going to get married yeah. the first time, did you have the gut feeling that it was wrong? Yes. Because I was cu- I'm just curious. Absolutely. Absolutely, I knew it was wrong. But you did not trust that gut feeling. I I didn't trust that feeling because I had not been brought up with the right messaging. So I believed, even though I knew it was wrong, and I knew this was not the person I I should be getting married to, I knew if I worked hard enough, I could make it work. Ah, Okay. Mm -hmm. And which is why when I have just recently got married, I had not one doubt i think sometimes for me me, i needed to fail to be able to understand and to unpick the patterns i'd grown into and be able to to reinterpret i knew i knew i knew i just thought that if i worked hard enough i could turn it around he had no interest in turning it around but there we go anyway not about me Matthew. <laughs> so we are coming I towards no i love you claire we are coming towards the end of the show and i'm i'm mindful of that but i There are so many incredible things that have been said. I think I want to go back and and listen to this show over and over again because so many pieces of really good advice have been nested within this show. I love your story, Claire. Um, And I'm I'm both with it when it comes to a, a, a marriage and a relationship and also with regards to a sex life. Your final words of wisdom and your final words of of advice would be if I if I had to give just some points to the, the younger ones, I would say go and find a partner who has your same. How do you say? Mm, not hobbies, things you you have in common which you like together because that's to me it's really important. You know, if it's sports, if it's anything, and don't give up. And don't, um, there are, you have to have friends, but sometimes we go to our friends, we message them, um, and they like influence us negatively because we always always say our part, you know, and he's like that, he's doing me this, he's doing me with that. It's better that you work it with your partner. And another thing which I learned through a couple of friends of mine who just got separated, now don't message because we interpret a message 
differently. You tell you, for example, send me a message and tell me, listen, go and buy milk. And I interpret that, huh, look what she said, go and buy milk. Of course, you know, that's how we interpret things. I just saw a couple of friends of mine, a couple friends of mine who got separated just because they only messaged and they interpreted their message, their messages wrongly. And this is what we're doing today. We're, we're communicating because with messages. Because it's two-dimensional and you can go back to the messages. Yes, you can if find I had it a confer- there. <laughs> if I have a conversation with Robert and I say something offensive, she might remember one word. But if I write it down, it's all written there. And most of most of the couples go back and say, look what you said on that and day. And it's the, ton- the tonality of it, you yes. know. Yes. I might be meaning something and you don't understand the complete opposite. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) You know we're going to have to do this show again. You know we're going to have to do this show again because this is such a massive topic. But to kind of round things off for this show, Anna, some advice, both relationship and sex. Um, I would say sex should be about pleasure, not about pain. It should be about connection. It should be about intimacy. It should be about fun. And sometimes we lose, as we grow into adults, we lose the little fun child inside of us and that's why sometimes uh, sexual difficulties happen because we it's difficult to let go it is difficult to play and sex most of the time is about play um so So give me a a practical example how can we get play into our sex life by introducing the stuff obviously with full consent of both Mm -hmm. um (laughs) By <laughs> obviously, Wait, you know what I was laughing at because not everyone sending or sending dirty messages. Wow, around the table, suddenly Melita or Epic is going to go through the roof from Malta's messaging. So, yes, and it's, it should be about connection and intimacy and safety. Yes, um. If you don't feel safe, um, even when we're talking about kink and BDSM, where where uh, force is used, th- there's a lot of safety, there's a lot of consent. So safety is really, really important. Oh, we're so going to have another show. <laughs> I'm going to leave the last word to you, Roberta, to wrap up our show on relationships and sex. I think we need to have more positive stories about relationships and sex and good sex because we, we don't hear much about this and hearing... Claire is saying her story and how, you know, she worked hard at the relationship and now it's a good relationship. I think that's so heartwarming, you know, especially for us who work in this area. We need to hear more of these stories, more couple stories. There about... are plenty. Yes, and there are plenty. That is it. There <laughs> that are is the problem. We don't hear yes, about them. We need to hear more about these stories. We need more of these stories for sure. Ladies, cheers. I'm going to chin chin you again because I have to say what a fantastic show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be asking you Mm -hmm. uh, you. if we can do this again. I feel like we've only just touched the surface (laughs) and have a very big topic. I'll work more on the sexual part so I get points (laughs) to explain and elaborate more. Would that be good? I'm sure your husband will be here. Thank you.